Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. We're here at Christophe Vineyards with Draga Jalaba and Chris Butler. It's uh, March 30th, 2023. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Uh, the first question, and one of you can start with this, is why wine? Um, well, the answer to this is, is different for each of us, for sure. We both came from very different backgrounds and came to wine from a different place. Um, for me, uh, the answer is, is kind of always changing. Um, so I kind of, I'll start from the beginning. <laughs> uh, I, uh, so at, coming out of high school, I, I didn't really uh, uh, know what I wanted to do. And um, I worked at CVS Pharmacy for a few years and went to community college and took the general ed classes and um, you know kind of did the bare minimum that I needed to do to uh, keep living at my parents' house. <laughs> and. Uh, maybe even below the bare minimum. Um, and then uh, around the age of like 19 or 20, um, I, uh, I watched a lot of History Channel at the time, and I watched uh, the history of beer. Um, and at the end of this segment, History of Beer, they talk about um, brewing in the United States and um, how home brewing since like the 1970s, 1980s, had really become a big thing, and I had never heard of anyone homebrewing. I didn't know anyone that homebrewed, um, but I was always kind of looking for a hobby of some kind, and uh, and so I was like, well, I'm going to start doing that, especially since I was 19 and 20, and I couldn't buy beer, and I could buy the ingredients for beer. <laughs> uh, so I bought a bunch of um, homebrewing books and and read them all cover to cover, and then I started brewing. Um, and uh, um, made some pretty bad batches of beer <laughs> a few times in a row, um, but really liked the the whole feel of it. You know, I liked the science behind it, even though I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to science before that. And um, I liked the the craft of it. I liked that you could kind of tinker with all these minute pieces of the process to yield a different final product. And and uh, all of that really appealed to me. Um, and so I started looking into, um, I started looking into different brewing programs around the United States and uh, UC Davis popped up and Oregon State popped up and um, I, uh, Oregon State uh, was a little more appealing to me just because uh, it seemed like the culture was really good. I had a familiarity with Oregon um, my whole family is, or my dad's side of the family is from Oregon, so I spent a lot of my uh, childhood coming up here and uh, always grew up as a Beaver fan. So um, <laughs> there was this uh, uh, exposure there already to Oregon State. Um, plus, I don't think I could have gotten into UC Davis with the grades that I had, so uh, <laughs> there was a practical element to it as well. real. Uh, <laughs> um, so when I had that goal, I started to take school really seriously and um, uh, took all the general ed science classes, the biology, the chemistry, um, 
and really ended up falling in love with science. Mm -hmm. um, to a degree that I, when I signed up to these classes, I was like, okay, I just gotta get through these so I can be a brewer. And uh, took the classes and, and found that I was really, really interested in that whole side of things. But I still applied to Oregon State, um, got in and started in the food science program there. Um, and uh, started taking food science classes, but still had this real um, deep appeal to um, like basic science, to biology and chemistry um, and molecular biology. Uh, so I ended up uh, I ended up starting doing a, um, a microbiology major as well. And so I double majored in um, food science or fermentation science and microbiology. Um, Started working in a, uh, a lab in the microbiology um, department to uh, study uh, coral microbiomes um, with Dr. Rebecca Vega Thurber there. And got really into that. Um, started taking like, uh, like diving classes and getting all my diving uh, <laughs> certifications because I wanted to go out in the field and do coral research. Um, but at the same time, I was taking brewing classes and winemaking classes and, and really feeling like I was, could go any direction or the other. Um, eventually, I took, uh, I took the winemaking classes at Oregon State. And um, you know, up to that point, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be a brewer. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be a brewer. Really want to be a brewer. <laughs> and, and then I took these winemaking classes. And I was like, oh, this is. Something about this appealed a lot more. Um, the, the thing, the hang up for me with brewing was it felt like there was, a, there was a chance there that I could get in a place where it was gonna be uh, really repetitive and I'm just making the same recipes, just taking slightly different raw ingredients to try and make something the same every single time. And that has its own challenges and you know, when someone can do that, that's really, Impressive, um, but really, what I wanted to do is recipe formulation, and that's like a really small part of being a brewer. It seems like, or appeared to me. Um, so in winemaking, I saw a lot of the chemistry. I saw the microbiology. I saw um, the creation of a tangible product that um, was really appealing to me in brewing, but with a vintage variation that kept things a little more fresh and um, a seasonality to it so you're doing different things throughout the year that I felt was gonna be um, more fulfilling in the long run. Um, but then at the same time, I thought, well, maybe I'll go to grad school and study microbiology or you know, go, be, um, go get a PhD or uh, get a, you know, go on and get a postdoc and then be a professor. And, and so that was always in the back of my brain too. Um, and even after graduating from, uh, from Morgan State, and um, I immediately started looking at grad schools and looking at both winemaking and like molecular biology. <laughs> and not really sure which way I, I ultimately wanted to go. Um, but I did my first harvest right out of school at, um, at uh, Hogue Cellars in Washington. And the harvest was so-so in retrospect. It wasn't like 
my favorite harvest I've ever done. That's like super I, big, right? Hog cellars? It's very big, yeah. yeah. Um, but I worked in the lab, mm -hmm. and uh, it was, uh, um, you know, I learned a lot, actually, in retrospect. I learned basically how, how I run the lab here is what I learned at Hoag Cellars. <laughs> um, so it came all the way back around. Um, but on the weekends, I would go to all these different wineries and taste as much wine as I could possibly taste. And that's really what ultimately sold me on, on getting deeper into wine, was um, seeing the diversity that was out there and kind of developing my palate and developing that appreciation that I didn't have before that um, was like, okay, this is, at least for now, uh, this is what I want to continue doing. Um, and so uh, after that, I started applying to grad schools exclusively for uh, winemaking. I was looking at Washington State, Oregon State, Cornell, and UC Davis. And um, applied to all of them, and ultimately, uh, UC Davis had the biggest, the the most breadth of curricula that they were offering. And and for me, already coming from like a semi winemaking degree, I was looking for something that uh, covered a lot more than I had uh, learned about previously. And um, and you got to use microbiology too, because you worked for Dr. Basson. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay. There was an opportunity there to continue to use that that side of my education as well, and um, and yeah, so ultimately ended up at UC Davis, and and that's where our paths cross. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about how you how got I to get that point. point. <laughs> well, so I I come from I'm Bulgarian, and one thing about almost every family in Bulgaria makes wine. So I never even thought that this is something people do for jobs. And it's, it's not good wine. It's, <laughs> it's in your basement, and it's always like very um, oxidized. And you know, it's, it's definitely home, home winemaking. But um, my, one of my grandpas particularly was a, um, really into viticulture. So he had, well, both of them had small vineyards. Um, in very, very small, like backyard vineyards, but one of my grandpas, um, he, I don't think he had two vines that were the same. He had everything, table grapes, wine grapes, any, anything, and he, all the books, um, he was grafting, all kinds of different rootstocks. I don't, at some point, I don't even know if he knew <laughs> what was what. But he knew what tasted good because we were kids, so he would wait for this one. <laughs> It's like sweeter, or yeah. Um, and so I was studying agriculture for a while in Bulgaria, and then after um, getting to the United States, I was like, okay. Um, I was finishing or going for a degree in biology, and then um, I was making like home homemaking, home wine making uh, in Alaska from fruit, and I think I tried dandelion wine. It was not good. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. But then I was looking at, okay, I want to go back to agriculture, but kind of focus it on something that is not just broad agriculture. And uh, talked to one of my professors up there. Uh, her name was uh, Sherry Tamon. And she had gone to UC Davis, 
was like, well, why don't you look into the winemaking program there? And I was like, oh, well, I'll never get into UC Davis. And she was like, no, you should try. You're a good student. And I, I really appreciate her believing in me because I did apply and I did get accepted. And I thought, I was like, holy crap. I cannot believe this. <laughs> I was so excited. And so I moved to California um, to, to start this journey. I had not worked a harvest until starting the program. I mean, working for my grandparents. <laughs> I had an idea of uh, um, how wine happens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not good wine again. And so yeah, I got I jumped into this like really hard curriculum of classes, and it was uh, I, it was challenging. I, I learned a lot at UC Davis. I worked a harvest at Shandong was my first harvest. Um, it was a great experience. Um, I learned a lot there, and that was um, so I transferred as a. I always forget how the 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 classes go. The one before senior is that a junior? Yeah. yeah, I transferred <laughs> as a junior. So between my junior and senior year there, um, I did the harvest at Shandong because it was sparkling and I could go back to school um, right when yeah, classes started in October. Uh, so yeah, that was exciting. And um, that's when Chris and I met. And um, we, uh, during my time at Davis, I also worked at like a tomato uh, genetic resource center. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It kind of ties to like, I don't know, my general like for agriculture. Um, but yeah, and I don't know how with all uh, my, I had all, all kinds of classes all over the place, but somehow we ended up graduating at the same time, which was great <laughs> because then we could travel and do harvest yeah. together. And uh, so I was very lucky to get uh, some scholarships to travel abroad, travel and work abroad uh, at UC Davis. Uh, the Food and Wine, International Food and Wine Society awarded me a scholarship. And so um, <clears throat> that's what I used for our, uh, when we, uh, our first harvest that we did together in Germany. Um, and um, that's when, where like my true, like, love of wine kind of happened. I, I had a lot of German Rieslings, a lot of like acidic wines. And I was like, okay, this is, uh, uh, this is what I like and then what I want to make in the future, which you know, later led to us moving to Oregon. But, um, but yeah, so our first harvest together was in Germany at Heyman Lovenstein, which um, I, I feel so lucky to have worked there. Yeah, yeah, especially now looking back, it's uh, it was a really unique experience mm -hmm. compared to every other harvest we've done. And they've all been different, but that one's been uh, a real standout in terms of like what we were exposed to, really. Yeah, so that, that's, um, that, then after that we went to Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, worked harvest. Well, Chris was in Margaret River, and I was down in uh, Mount Barker. Mount Barker, right? Mount uh, Barker, yeah. Yeah, which is south, the southern. The Great Southern. The Great Southern, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Australia is so unique and beautiful. Um, and the, just the vast amounts of 
uh, varieties that people grow and make wine of there as, I don't know, it was an amazing experience being in Margaret River. Yeah. You enjoyed it. Yeah, that was the kind of place <laughs> where we, we got there and our first thought in the first week was like, how do we stay here? Like, how, we need to figure out a way to stay here. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, if you've ever been to Margaret River, it's, it's, uh, it's really far from a lot of stuff. I mean, it's three hours from Perth. That would be the closest city. Um, but it's just like this little part that comes out of the bottom of Australia that is a beautiful wine region, makes some incredible wines, but it's like five minutes from the beach. And the beaches are gorgeous. It's like a little surf town, kind of has like a Santa Cruz sort of culture to it. Um, so it's got great food, it's secluded, it's communal, and um, you've got incredible beaches. So. The, <laughs> yeah, and the wine is amazing with, yeah. because of the, the ocean influence. And there were, it had a real, um, a real family community there mm -hmm. too. Like you go around, you know, there's different breweries and stuff, and we'd spend a lot of time at these breweries. And... Uh, like most of them had playgrounds and and like people would bring their whole families there and um, slip and slide there were kids yeah there was a slip and slide <laughs> that went like all the way down a hill into a lake and it was just like yeah it was incredible um so looking at that we're like this is the kind of place where you know uh we've been together for a couple of years at that point and mm -hmm. and you know getting more serious in our right. relationship <laughs> and uh, thinking about, you know, if we had a family, where would we want to have a family? And it seemed like an incredible place to do it. So we wanted to stay there and then ultimately left. Yeah. <laughs> but then, then we were like, okay, well, if we are going to, we're going to stay in the wine industry forever and ever, what wines we want to make and where do we want to make them? And it would have been so much easier to go back to California and find a job coming out of UC Davis, but we were very determined to move to Oregon. <laughs> and we came up here without any jobs. Well, we worked Harvest, you worked yeah. at Chehalem, and I worked in Southern Oregon to scope the, the state and see where yeah, we want to. We wanted to see the whole thing. <laughs> uh, and I, I loved my Harvest down there. It was at Woodridge Creek. Uh, but it was so smoky all summer long. Um, and uh, Chris was up here at Chehalem, and so we ended up deciding, oh, well, we went on a trip to Europe after harvest, back to visit my family and friends, and then came back and was like, okay, we're moving to McMinnville. <laughs> we have no jobs. <laughs> well, actually, we found a, uh, um, we found a, um, like a sublet in Portland for like a month and a half and use that as a staging point. Yeah. But the staging point was basically us, no jobs, and uh, just spending a lot of money in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> like living a, a lifestyle that was not sustainable. Yeah, with the harvest money we made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, but then we found a place uh, um, in McMinnville and uh, worked a lot of bottling jobs through Express. Um, we were like, well, we can, you know, hang around and apply for full-time jobs or we can just do bottling and kind of 
check out all these different wineries. And it was really hard work, but also really great because we got to meet a lot of people that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and now it's like amazing to me how many people that we met through working for Express. Um, <laughs> at the time, was, it was not fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, bottling is um, you know, still the thing that I dread year-round. It's, it's definitely the worst part of winemaking. Um, and we just did that every day for a long time. It feels like a long time, but it was it only maybe three months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it felt like an eternity. Yeah, yeah. And then you got, a, a, well, you got a job. Uh, you got offered a, a job at Twelfth and Maple. Yeah, so I worked at Twelfth and Maple for a yeah. couple of years. Um, but before that, you got a job at, uh, oh, at uh, Pelarage. Yeah, um, like a seasonal position at Pelarage. Um, so we both kind of ended up somewhere at the same time, which was nice. Not, there wasn't one of us stuck working for Express while the others, uh, while the other moved on with their lives. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moved on from bottling full time. <laughs> um, so yeah, you started at 12th of Maple about the same time that I started at Penarash. And um, Penarash, I worked with uh, Kate and Nolan and Lauren and, and um, it was a really good crew to be mm -hmm. a part of. And it's funny, part of, I think, why I ended up there was we did a bottling job there at Express and was just talking to them uh, you know, while we, were, while we were bottling. And then they found my resume in the pile and like, oh, you applied. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you come in and talk to us? Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I ended up there for a few months. Um, and was supposed to stay on for the harvest. And then come July, we were, we'd gotten through all of racking of, um, of single vineyard wines and blends that were gonna be bottled that, that, uh, that August. And um, I got contacted by a mutual friend of ours, Joe, Joe Ferris, um, that is assistant winemaker at uh, Lingua Franca. Um, cellar master at the time, but um, he uh, he had heard uh, from Dan that the cellar master here was leaving, and that uh, Dan was kind of looking around for somebody uh, competent enough uh, to fill the role like two weeks before harvest, and uh, and so um, Joe contacted us and and said, hey, would you know? you guys rather you be interested in this and um, um, you know Drya was in had a full-time job at the time that she didn't really want to leave and I had a temporary job that had from what I could tell no prospect of turning into a full-time job and so uh, um, I started talking to Dan and and came here and um, I felt like Dan and I clicked right away um, he uh, hopped out of the trailer. We had a trailer here at the time, and uh, <laughs> and uh, we jumped in the suburban together and and drove up drove up the hill. And he took me on this wild drive up through the up through the vineyard and kind of laid everything out for me, kind of how things were from 
his perspective at Christum. Um, he'd only been here for um, really a few weeks at that point. And, uh, um, and so had laid out his perspective of how things were at Christum and what was going on and, and what he was looking for in a, in a partner. Um, and I was looking for a job, so I was like, that all sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to do, I'm in. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I uh, came back and met with the rest of the crew. Met with Tom and and Andy, and um, and it, it it just felt like a good fit. Um, so uh, signed up for that and um, told Kate the bad news that I was leaving two weeks before harvest. And she knew though. Yeah, she found it. She actually knew I had the job before I had knew I had the job, so <laughs> it wasn't wasn't a surprise to her at that point. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, that's how I ended up here at Christum. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm gonna pick it back up there in a second. I want to back up. Okay. You, you raised a lot of questions I, I need to ask. So yeah. the first question is, Draga, what brought you to the United States originally? Why why did you come here? I came uh, through school. Okay. Yeah. For a certain program? Uh, I came on a work and travel program. Okay. Yeah. And so tell me about that. So you ended up in Alaska? Mm -hmm. Okay. How did that happen? Um, I wanted to go as far away from <laughs> Bulgaria and I picked. <laughs> it's like, wow. That one. <laughs> that one. <laughs> and um, yeah, I traveled, uh, I went, then I signed up for biology degree at uh, University of Alaska Southeast in Juneau mm -hmm. and studied biology for a while. I was there at the time and I had studied agriculture and some of my credits transferred and um, I worked for Fish and Game for a while too up there and uh, that's like one of the reasons I decided to go back to agriculture is living in Juneau which was an amazing town. Like I have a lot of friends up there still, but it rained so much. And I was like, if I'm gonna stay in biology and fisheries, I'm gonna have to live here forever. <laughs> and it's gonna be so wet and gloomy for like many years. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's when I um, applied to school at UC Davis. So. And how did the two of you meet at UC Davis? Uh, you know, everybody meets at UC Davis, and and so there was no uh, there was no chance of us not meeting. Um, but uh, we got to know each other uh, really during the the first winter quarter mm -hmm. that we were there. We actually went on a um, UC Davis has this group um, called Devo, um, Department of Enology and Viticulture yeah. Organization. Davis. Davis. <laughs> no, Davis and Knowledge and Viticulture. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's not, no, it's not associated with the department. That's right, yeah. They try to you stay disassociated. You were the vice president. I was the vice president. <laughs> you should know. know what it was called. Yeah. Well, she was the treasurer, so she was, was like, oh, she was all kind of. I did the paperwork, so yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we went on a trip to Southern Oregon. They have oh, these yeah. um, they have these trips where uh, you go to these different wine regions and you spend a couple nights there and visit as many wineries as you can pack into a weekend, um, and uh, and then party pretty hard uh, at night. <laughs> it was uh, it was a wild weekend, um, but uh, 
uh, we rode up in the same car and uh, and just had a you know it's a long drive from from Davis to Southern Oregon and had a lot of time to chat and get to know each other and um, yeah after that weekend we were friends yeah and then later on we were not friends anymore <laughs> <laughs> but we 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 were friends for a while and yeah. um, and you know traveled in the same social groups and and hung out together and went on more of these trips together and um, went to Hungary and Croatia together um, as part of a big group uh, over that summer. And then um, uh, right before the start of fall quarter, um, we uh, started dating. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he had to be my TA. Yeah. <laughs> So like it was like maybe like a week or two before the start of fall quarter, and oh, like, I had to like no. go to all the go to the professors <laughs> that I was the that I was TAing with and say like I should probably not grade this person's papers. <laughs> 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 I have to recuse myself from uh, uh, grading these papers. It's very ethical. Yes, and definitely good for our relationship. As yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I think a couple of quarters you were my TA. Yeah, yeah, at least for wine production and for um, uh, microbiology. Um, microbiology, yeah. 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 Oh. yeah. So you mentioned, uh, obviously, first uh, foreign uh, harvest in Germany together. Tell me about, you mentioned it being very unique and special, so tell me a little bit about that experience. Um, what, what about it was unique and special? and, and it, what did it do for you to kind of reinforce or uh, wake up your love for the wine industry? So the vineyards, Heyman uh, Lovenstein, are, I, I think there's more than just that specific area, but they're like a very terraced and very austere in terms of soil composition. So a lot of slate, not very much organic matter. Um, and the grapes that those sites produce are phenomenal. I, I think Chris can speak to that too, but um, the most um, just concentrated and then the same time acidic and amazing Riesling that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, and the style of winemaking, Heyman Lovenstein was a little uh, more towards the hands-off side. Um, and they were very proud of their terroir, um, all the different vineyards that um, the family owned, the different types of slate um, that they farmed on, and, and the wines were amazing. It, they were so good. Um, and we got to work. Um, Chris actually moved on to Selba Coaster for actual harvest, mm -hmm. um, but um, we both got to work in the vineyards for the whole summer doing all the, the vineyard work, climbing the, the terraces, on the monorack sometimes, sometimes <laughs> by, yeah, that was, that was a good day. Yeah, you get to go on the monorack, that's good. I remember we were like, we're gonna get so fit this summer, but we drank so much beer that we did not get fit at all. No, we definitely gained weight during that harvest. Oh, yeah. yeah. But weight, uh, muscle and fat, I would say. <laughs> it was good. Um, but the crew was um, a lot of people from um, many countries. Uh, I have a really good friend from Turkey that worked with us, um, Polish people, a couple of really good Polish friends, 
um, other German friends that we still keep in touch with. So um, the, the winemaking process was fascinating, but for me also the people were what made the harvest so amazing. Um, yeah, I think for me it was, um, you know, seeing how wine can be so seamlessly integrated with a culture was, you know, definitely a new experience for me coming from the United States. I mean, I think it's much more part of the culture in Bulgaria, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. Wine's food. Wine is food. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and to go, to have it just be part of everything that we are doing in this town, um, like every event, the wine is a part of it. And every weekend we'd go over to Fred Knebel's, um, which was a local winery and just had a bunch of long picnic tables and everybody in the community, kids and, and every people from all generations would come out and hang out in one space and and um, the wine garden. The wine garden, yeah. <laughs> we had yeah. a wine for lunch with, we had lunches provided and they would like get food up on the motor rack and bring it up on whatever terrace with a few bottles of wine and and glasses, like actual glass. <laughs> a lot of pictures of us like sitting on these terraces, drinking wine and just like broken, but <laughs> <laughs> eating, but enjoying books. that half hour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, um, it was definitely a cultural experience. And I think, um, you know, we're always having conversations, uh, every, every harvest that we do and everywhere that we are and, and, and seeing pieces that were like, that is really cool. Like that would be a great thing to bring back to the United States and to have in the United States, you know? And that was something, those weekends at Fred Knebel's was like, um, we're like, this is like, if you had something like this, like that would be so cool in any sort of community. And, and uh, yeah, just kind of drawing inspiration from that, um, that experience. But also the amazing reasoning we had and how affordable it was. Yeah. And you know, making this really, really good wine, and it was accessible to everyone. Um, it wasn't a, a luxury product necessarily. And, you know, so some wineries had wines that were more expensive than others, but even the smallest winery in town made great wine. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I, I then realized how how much I like. Um, more acidic wines like Riesling. And we, uh, Lisk also makes a Gruner Weltliner that is really acid driven. But um, every time we make like wine decisions currently, we, we sort of draw, go back to that experience, right? Yeah, that feels like kind of the, when we thought about making Riesling, when we thought about what we wanted to make, we thought, well, what's the best Riesling that we've ever had? And yeah. it's Heyman Lundstein. And so um, we're like, well, that's a good starting point then. <laughs> we know how they make it. Um, let's start from there and, and, and uh, draw from that. And it's like knowledge. not even possible to replicate that, no. right? Because we found that out, yeah. that, I mean, <laughs> there is the terroir. Oh, there is the terroir they yeah. have and the clones they're growing. And it's just such a unique site that you can never have the same exact wine. 
but you can strive to, we are striving to express uh, the, the Riesling, the, the side that we are using through our wine. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there could be amazing Riesling in Oregon too, so. Yeah, that's the, that's, I mean, there is amazing Riesling out here and we're just hoping to, to make our own mark with it. Yeah. yeah. There could be more. There, could, there can always be more, right? Yeah. yeah. So before we get to, to that, I'm, the last question I have is you, this part of the, is you, you mentioned, obviously, you, you've been, been at Davis, you, you've been in Washington, been in Germany, Australia. Why did you feel the need to come back to Oregon? Why, why was Oregon the place you were going to set up and make wine? Um, you know, I think we were, we had a lot of conversations about, uh, about what kind of culture we were looking for and um, what kind of wine we wanted to make, of course. Mm -hmm. um, we both have a preference for cool climate varieties and, and so a cool climate was kind of the starting point. Um, but we both spent a little bit of time in Oregon. You know, I lived up here for three years for, um, for school um, and that was undergrad and, and so it was a different lifestyle than I'm living now. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I did really appreciate uh, the overall um, feel of Oregon. Um, there's a certain pace of life here that I'm from California originally and um, the pace of life here is a little bit more um, comfortable for me. Things are a little faster in, in California, especially in the Bay Area where I'm from. Um, and so I wanted to go to a place where um, things were a little more chill. People were a little more chill. People were nicer. Not that people in California aren't nice, but you know, there can, yeah. <laughs> we also had the experience of coming here throughout your childhood with yeah. half of your family. Yeah, so I had this connection here and... Um, we hike a lot too. Yeah. And being so close to amazing hikes. Um, so, and we both, um, well, we used to uh, s snowboard, but uh, since we've got Nadia, we don't, we don't do much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we do some stuff, but we haven't been to the mountain in a yeah, while. Yeah, there's, there's the dream of doing more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah being, being in a place where everybody's kind of into the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody's into going camping, it seems like. Everybody's into backpacking and... And, um, you know, you've got the beach an hour away, you've got the mountains an hour and a half, two hours away. Um, and, and so it, it felt like there was just so much to do in that respect. And, um, but it also the wine we wanted to make, it was, it was never Napa Cab yeah. um, or um, Napa Chardonnay, it was cooler climate, Pinot, even though we don't personally make Pinot, we were really big fans. We've always been really big fans yeah. <laughs> of Oregon Pinots. Um, and we would come up here and go to all these wineries, and I remember we, we came to Crestum. It, it was in 2018. Yeah. The first time. And had the, the Syrah um, that Crestum had. And we were like, oh, what if one day we make this Syrah such an amazing place? Yeah, peppery Syrah is a, is a way to our heart really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and then here, here we are, Chris is working at Kristen, which is 
we would have not thought that no. would ever happen. It's funny, like when we first started talking to Express, they were like, well, you know, name a winery that you would want to work at and like maybe we, you know, help you find a job there. Yeah. And I was like, well, Christum. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> That's out of our jurisdiction and yada, yada, yada. But I don't remember that, but yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah. Um, yeah, we, uh, it was, um, coming up here was, it was definitely a lot of different things. Um, but I felt like, especially when we moved to McMinnville and, um, we moved into um, Kim Abrams and Matt, and Matt Perry's uh, side unit there. Um, and uh, it just kind of felt like we were in the center of this community and we were in, uh, it felt like the right place pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, speaking of Christo, obviously mm. you mentioned you kind of found it on a lark and took it because it was a, a, a job and a good job. Yeah. How has it, how has your role progressed here and how has it gone for you here at Christo since you started? Uh, it's progressed a lot. Um, you know, I was hired on as enologist slash seller master um, and that role was not uh, exactly defined when I started here and I wasn't sure what the role was and I wasn't sure, I don't know if anyone truly knew what the role was, um, but uh, I'd had experience at other places and um, Dan obviously had experience at, at Literai and a lot of other places um, and we were both new here and we were both figuring things out and that whole first vintage 2019 um, I think the two of us were kind of along for the ride and, and um, just seeing like, okay, you know, how are Steve and Tom making wine? Like, how is Kristen wine made? And uh, I was basically in the lab the entire time, um, just making spreadsheets on the fly. You know, I had none of this prepared before harvest. I was like, okay, we're gonna track all these fermentations. I need to have all these different spreadsheets, kind of pulling from uh, all the UC Davis that I had inside of me. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just doing a lot of data entry and a lot of data tracking and, and just trying to stay on top of things and, and, and you know, keep, keep things well tracked. And that year we had um, we had 75 different one and a half ton fermenters. And that's just one and a half ton fermenters. We had, you know, 11 different five tonners, five different seven tonners, like a lot of different fermentations to track. And each one of these I had a different tab for each fermentation on the spreadsheet. So I had to like go through tab by tab and enter data every single day. So I was doing like three hours of data entry a day and just trying to like kind of get a grasp of what's going on. Um, and then after that harvest, um, there was, there was a number of months there where, um, Dan and I were having a lot of conversations and we were having conversations with Steve and Tom where we'd sit down and think about, okay, how, how have things been done and how can we do things better? And, um, so we'd sit down and write SOPs, um, and refine SOPs and we have these SOP meetings every week. And this was the beginning of 2020, 
nobody was doing anything else anyways, you know. <laughs> it was like we we're all just kind of in our own bubble of uh, doing SOPs. And, um, and so that became a point where, um, you know, Dan and I at least could wrap our heads around the whole process a little bit more and think about, okay, where can we make um, quality and logistical improvements and where can we, um, where can we maintain the style as much as possible, you know? Um, Kristen has a very particular style that it's, um, that, you know, Steve really started here and, and has perpetuated throughout the years and, and made it um, really a benchmark for organ winemaking. And so respecting that style and um, trying to adhere to it, but also uh, make things um, a little higher throughput and um, cleaner and well-tracked. And um, we, that was a lot of the focus of the first year. Um, and then for me also, it was like expanding lab capabilities. So I, I come from a lab background and and uh, um, you know, having done lab work at UC Davis and taught labs and um, you know, worked in a fair number of labs, it was something that I was comfortable building out. And over, over the course of that year and really still continuing, um, we're continually refining our lab work and, and what we're doing. Um, and then after that first year, uh, I got promoted to assistant winemaker, um, and uh, which I think I was doing that job the whole time. <laughs> you know, they say you always you're you're always doing the job before you get the title for it, and uh, um, but you know, with that, um, my I think my role has kind of evolved to be uh, one of um, running the lab. I'm a lab manager. Um, kind of logistics and um, uh, data analysis and um, kind of trying to look a few steps ahead and um, trying to find a way that we can execute the style of wine that we want to make and in a way that is going to work best for us. And, um, and then... Uh, of course, on top of that, you know, me and Dan are, are always working together and, and refining the style more and more and saying like, and having all these different experiments and how can we do this, how can we do that? And um, uh, yeah, it, we've really come to make a really good team where um, it, it's, I think we both bring uh, different skill sets to the table and um, different personalities to the table and and uh, um, and it's really nice to work with someone like Dan who is open to so many things and open to trying new things and open to change and and uh, um, that's allowed us to kind of you know I'm always trying to redefine what my role is here and trying to figure out what is the next thing where can we push things in the next direction and um, Dan's always open to that redefinement and that's uh, that's been. Uh, a really rewarding experience. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of how it's evolved. It's an interesting challenge to take over a, a role. Our brand is established, as you said, and trying yeah. to figure out how to keep it 
but also evolve it? So. Yeah, it's something that, I mean, you don't want to turn the ship too hard, as Dan would say a lot of the time. Um, you know, it, it is a certain style, and, um, and I've always loved the Kristen wines. Um, and so, like, um, we're just trying to, to find a way to, uh, to respect the style and evolve it. And um, the other fun thing has been Chardonnay here because coming, starting here in 2019, there really wasn't too much of a precedent um, for Chardonnay. I mean, uh, we've got a half acre of uh, Louise Chardonnay that's been planted there since, uh, I think, 95. And, um, you know, every year uh, they've made three barrels of Chardonnay <laughs> off of it every year. And um, it's really hard to experiment too much with three barrels. Uh, <laughs> you kind of get a lot of eggs in one basket there. Um, and then starting in um, like 2017, 2018, um, Tom really wanted to... Uh, expand the Chardonnay here and, and make Chardonnay much a much bigger part of what Kristen is. And then he brought uh, Dan up here in 2019 as uh, a way to really refine that style and bring the literary style of Chardonnay uh, up here. And uh, I think over the last few years, uh, taking that literary style, um, we've applied it to Oregon wine and, and try to find ways that um, we can use that style of, of winemaking to mis, make the best uh, organ chardonnay possible as well. And that's been a fun process where there's not too much precedent to uh, adhere to as well. So let's talk about this guy then. How you, obviously, you came here with the intention of making wine. This was not something that just sort of happened. So tell me about the process of deciding to start a label and, and all the things that go into that. Um, so, I think when did we start? We started Liska in, well, 2020 is when we started planning it. Yeah. Um, we, uh, I, I think it was a year when, where an opportunity came up to make wine here at Crystal for us. And we had been thinking about it for a while, um, what we might want to do in the future and how there is this amazing opportunity to make other varieties, but Pinot and Chardonnay. Um, little did we know that they're not that easily, that they're not easy to find <laughs> the graves, right? Um, but we've been pretty lucky. Uh, and so, yeah, the opportunity came up and we, I, I was pregnant. I was pretty pregnant at the time. Like, okay, no, let's do it. <laughs> we got it in us. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, we got a baby. We got a, started a label. Um, I think I, it took a, how many months? I, ever since COVID started, my ears kind of blend together a little bit. But um, we were designing and redesigning the labels. Well, we got the, the grape contracts first. Yeah, in early 2021. Yeah, so um, is that when we got the contract, got the grapes from Mark? I think, I think maybe the first contract was like February or March 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
uh, it wasn't until like July that we found out that um, Mark Wall had uh, all these different varieties planted on this northern facing slope at Holmes Hill Vineyard um, and basically didn't have anyone to take them. Mm -hmm. um, it was, some of them were pretty small amounts, so it was like, you know, one ton of something, and mm -hmm. it's hard to find someone to come out and take one ton of something. But we were like, one ton, that sounds like a lot. Sounds <laughs> like a lot to us. <laughs> yeah, I think we were like planning to make one white and one red when we, like, we were, wanted to make Riesling and Gamay. And then we ended up making Riesling, Gamay, Syrah, Gruner, and Gewurztraminer. Yeah. Which was great. Yeah. It was, an, uh, I could not have even dreamed that we would find that many different varieties and the, the quality of the grapes was great. Yeah. But at the time, at least for me, uh, it felt uh, very scary. It was scary, yeah, because we made the wine and then we're like, now we have to make labels. Like, this is a lot of wine. <laughs> and we have to start figuring out how to, and uh, you know, they say it's easy to make wine, it's hard to sell wine. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, <laughs> I think just figuring out the compliance part yeah. was so much. And we're work. still even figuring that out, really. Well, yeah, we got Oregon down. <laughs> yeah, we got Oregon down. 50 more states are organized. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's been, I, that first year, it was, we had all these different varieties that we were working with that we didn't even really plan on making. And the mm -hmm. Syrah was as last minute as it gets. Steve, uh, it came from Steve Dorner's vineyard. He picked it and he was like, hey, I don't really want all the Syrah. Do you, uh, do you guys want to take half of it? And, like, yeah. and uh, we were like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, how can you say no? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, we wanted to make Syrah for so yeah, long. Yeah, I mean, now, I mean, now I'm like, how could we ever possibly say no? That was like such a dream. To and the wine is the amazing. The Amity Hill Syrah. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, it just felt like, whoa, we already made a lot of wine already. Like, this feels like we're really leaning in here. Yeah. Um, but then after that, uh, you start, we started tasting the wines and kind of getting a sense for what we'd actually made. Mm -hmm. And um, well, we, we did have a very specific um, plan going into harvest yeah. of how much alcohol we want to leave, um, how we want it acid-driven wines, so we were picking um, the Bjorns and Gamay were the first to pick. Yeah. And Mark was not too sure about that, right? He was like, are you sure? He called like, me up and he was like, I think this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> but we can send like, you know, four pickers out there tomorrow and pick it real quick for you, but... And like, we were only getting a little bit. Yeah, it was um, only a ton. But, but it, was a, it was the right call. Yeah. And ultimately, and we're very yeah. happy with how the wine turned out. So we definitely um, had a plan, and I think it paid off because there is very um, like all the wines that we made are under the same kind of denominator. You can tell that we like acid-driven wines. We don't like high alcohols, and um, not very much intervention in terms of oak or. So, yeah. um, we did plan a lot. 
Yeah, we actually, somewhere we've got a document, a Word document, where we wrote out you know, what we wanted to make mm -hmm. in terms of each of these varieties and kind of how we wanted to approach it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we even looked at that during harvest, but it, having the conversation beforehand was uh, mm -hmm. valuable. And, and, you know, we were both on the same page in terms of uh, what styles we wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think we achieved those styles. And you have had some experience with aioli and fruit. Yeah. Not, so, I mean, maybe Gamay from Bjornsson. Yeah. But. And 2021 was a wild vintage, though. Um, that was uh, the most compacted vintage I've ever done and ever want to do. It was really pretty horrible for some of it. And, and doing our own... Um, our own stuff on top of that, our own brand, and going and picking up fruits and everything, just, it felt like just another layer of craziness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we had, Nadia was not even six months yet. No, yeah, maybe four or five months, yeah. So I was, I would show up with her in the little pack, <laughs> taste juice. <laughs> she wore the, yeah, we, we got her the, the head, those uh, muffle head, headphones, not headphones, but earmuffs. Earmuffs. Yeah. yeah. She didn't like having them on. Yeah. <laughs> but it was fun. It, at least it was a short period of time yeah. of intense work. Yeah. It so. was, I mean, we started like first week of September and we were done before October. It was, it was yeah. really fast. Even, even Riesling came off like mid-September, which is just crazy. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and then and then we dove into making labels and trying to. Um, I'm I'm also an artist. I make I'm a printmaker, so um, it was a way to for me to um, express my creativity that way too. And I made so many lino cuts in a couple couple of months, which was crazy because Nadia would go to sleep and I would be like, okay. I'm going to work, you clean the kitchen, <laughs> I'm going to go do art. It was crazy. It was the best for me, though. <laughs> I uploaded so much work onto you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, I have to go do art. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, we got a deadline. <laughs> we but we to, did have a deadline. We yeah. did. Yeah, we had to submit the labels to TTB. And, um, so that was fun. I think I took a, a lot of months learning Adobe. Photoshop and Illustrator too, to like figure out how to put them together because we were like a brand new brand and like we can't pay a graphic designer. <laughs> we don't like yeah, that's we can't gonna, afford anything. So. That's gonna be so much money. <laughs> so we gotta make them right, and the first time so we don't have to change them later on. And yeah, I was like learning all of the Adobe suite of um, so all the whole software package, but it, I think. I had fun. Yeah, and it's yeah. still paying off. It's something where, mm -hmm. you know, you've got this, this, all this artwork now that, and the skills to use with mm -hmm. uh, Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator and, and uh, use it to make other things with it too. We might have to make two new labels because we're thinking about making two separate gammies. Yeah, I'm so like, you get to lock mm. yourself in the room again. <laughs> I'll take that challenge. <laughs> I'll make art. Yeah. Twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think I, we didn't quite understand 
how long it would get to take license uh, to get the licenses through LCC, and so that was, um, yeah, that was a wild ride. Yeah, we so planned to release in like May, mm -hmm. and we didn't release until August because it just took that long. Yeah, yeah there were a, a lot of delays. Yeah, and a big backlog. And, mm -hmm. yeah. But we've learned a lot about compliance yes. so far. <laughs> Every winemaker's dream to know a lot about compliance. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, go ahead. I was, I was just going to ask about, about the name and, and about with, the, with your art, with mm -hmm. the labels, what, what were you, what's the sort of the aesthetic you're trying to convey? Uh, so the name is Liska after Liska the dog, but Liska the dog. And I didn't really want to name the wine label Liska, but Chris was really set on it. I, we got the dog in the beginning of the pandemic, but actually we got her before the pandemic started. She came the, right before the lockdown. Yeah, she um, was the last truck from Texas. Yeah, yeah she came from Texas. Because yeah. we bought a house and then we're like, well, now we need a dog, <laughs> obviously. Well, we is a strong word. I know. got a dog. <laughs> she got a dog and informed me when I came home that there was a dog coming. <laughs> Chris was not stoked, but now you're best friends. Yeah. Um, and her name was Lassie. And I was like, well, you're not going to be Lassie. <laughs> you're going to be Liska. And Liska is like an endearing for a female fox. And I, in Bulgarian, yeah, but I think most Slavic languages, maybe. <laughs> um, so it, it does, I think Chris thinks it has the nice ring to it, but also it is, uh, Liska is a giant part of our family. Yeah. Full family member. <laughs> um, and uh, the art, I wanted to, because we are in Oregon and we are making these cooler climate varieties that are very distinct on their own. Um, and I thought that I can represent them with um, certain um, parts of Oregon uh, flora. And so that's the, the Gibbards was a native uh, flowers, Oregon native flowers. Um, the gummy was the berries, lots of red fruit. I thought the Syrah, it's this like heavier bodied grape uh, was well represented by local conifers. And um, it's really hard to, you know, get every single plant on a lino, but uh, I would like pick and choose the ones I really like to draw and carve. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, and the ferns, they're, they're so green and fresh, and the Gruner Weltliner was perfect fit for like a big fern composition in my, in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and we actually have a new one for the upcoming Riesling. Uh, we got new, uh, a new vineyard for our Riesling, Mark Royer, and so it's gonna be a lot of um, like um, Oregon grown fruit in orchards. Um, that was fun to make. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think I'm gonna stick with that, that theme of Oregon flora for now. I'm not really good at animals. <laughs> it takes a lot of knowledge of animal anatomy to like make a good drawing slash line of cut. So I'm not 
I don't, I don't think I have the time to invest in learning animal anatomy. Plus, but. the wine isn't going to taste like a robin or something. No, so. I know, but <laughs> I don't know. You can, you can draw different yeah, you inspirations. Can make yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have the ocean, yeah. all that. Yeah. But I'm excited for new varieties in the future so I can make new wine. <laughs> <laughs> It's like an added bonus each time you come up with something new, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I'm also uh, making some some woodcuts and lino cuts for some friends that have a wine and food magazine. There's just a bunch of friends collaborating, mm -hmm. putting stuff out there into the world. Um, so, I think I. I think I like like the part of you know it's amazing making wine, but it also kind of made me get better at this particular form of art to the point where like I want to make it now all the time, and um, I've gotten so much better too. I think Chris tells me, people tell <laughs> yeah, me, definitely, yeah. and uh, so I, I, I always think of like what can I make a lino cut of, like, can I make a composition of this? So, it's been fun. Yeah. You talked earlier about having a, a, pretty, a pretty good notion of what you wanted to make and of how you wanted to make it when it comes to your wine, and even, even if other people were giving you advice that maybe it wasn't the right time to pick yet. So tell me about that sort of uh, confidence, I guess, or, or vision for your wines, uh, uh, and, and maybe when other people are disagreeing with you on, on that kind of thing, mm -hmm. how do you sort of establish that confidence and how has it followed through so far? How have the results been so far? Uh, well, we're pretty happy with the results. Mm -hmm. um, the, both the 21s and the 22s, that most of them are still in barrel, but we just bottled a 2022 Gewürztraminer um, that we made a little bit differently, did some more skin contact on, and kind of drew that inspiration from other skin contact Gewürztraminers that we'd had. Mm -hmm. um, but also science, it's like having all this background in science, yeah. and you can like do the calculations, and you know what you want to end up in terms of pH and acid, yeah. and there is like only so low you can go with like acidity when you pick to like get to the final result um, and I think you had a pretty good understanding of of where you need to be at picking to where we wanted to the finished wine to be so um, definitely thankful for Davis education for that yeah. and you know just having a better understanding of wine chemistry I think it has it, it does make decision, it, it just coming from like a scientific background, it, it, it makes making decisions easier, I think. Yeah, just because you can kind of quickly go through in your head, um, you know, what's going to happen if we do this? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen if we do this? And, and, you know, it's not as much of a guessing game as it feels, you know. You can never control flavors quite so much, and so that's kind of the thing where you really mm -hmm. got to taste and taste the juice and kind of get a sense of what the flavors are. Um, but um, in terms of the metrics, that part is, mm -hmm. is um, not, I'm not going to say easy, but um, we're pretty confident in that place. Um, and having worked at Kristen for a few years and made white wine here, um, 
I, I got a really good sense of, of um, different white wines and, and when you should pick them to achieve a, a, an end product. Um, you know, we work with Pinot Gris here, Viognier, Chardonnay, um, three very different grapes. And um, the, the MO here has, has always been um, you know, pick based on acidity. Um, it's something that almost every pick that we do is based on acidity, unless the bricks are getting too high, in which case we're like, okay, we don't want the high alcohol either. You know, in 2021, uh, it was, uh, that was the driving factor for the Viognier pick here was we just saw the bricks just shooting up in 2021. And, and so the pH was still like 2.95 and we're like, all right, well, let's pick it still. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, um, I say another piece of advice that um, that we got from Dan, um, maybe the summer before, is we were having a whole conversation about what we wanted to do with the brand and what the style was, and he said, you know, the piece of advice I can give you is is don't be afraid to pick too early, you know, and um, and we weren't, <laughs> and uh, and I think uh, initially we um, we were. When things were first down in barrel and just been sulfured and you know were put to bed, really we were tasting wines out of barrel and we're like, this is maybe too much acid, you know. And I think we were a little bit uh, um, know, reluctant, but we were kind of feeling like oh, maybe we did actually pick too early. Um, but now, having seen the wines evolve and seen the wines age in barrel and then go to bottle and age in bottle. They've been, a lot of them have been in bottle for a year now. Um, and now we're like, no, that's actually, that this, was yeah. the right call. This is what we wanted to make. Yeah. And it's so easy to question yourself a lot in the beginning. Uh, yeah. But I don't, I think also working in Germany back, back to that, it's, they picked it 2.9 pH yeah. and then the sometimes the wine fermented over winter it would finish fermentation in the spring yeah. when like the things awakened and got a little bit warmer and it was great and um, yeah the TA was high the alcohol was often low, low because um, and well a lot of wineries would add sugar mm. at that point but you can always add sugar it's so hard to take alcohol back. Yeah, um, it's much harder. Yeah. <laughs> so I think seeing that and experiencing that in Germany was also like, pff, we've seen way higher acidity than this. Yeah. <laughs> and the wines were amazing, so. Yeah. Yeah. And having some of those uh, greener flavors when things are a little bit on the less ripe side, I think that appealed to our palate as well. And. Um, and it was different decisions for different varieties, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, for Gewürztraminer coming in, um, we both had a little bit of experience making Gewürztraminer. You had a little bit more than I did. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I made it in Southern Oregon at Woodridge Creek. They made a really good Gewürz. But, uh, you know, we, we had an idea of the Gewürztraminer that we didn't want to make going into it. We didn't want to make um, a Gewürztraminer that was high in alcohol and flabby and just kind of like over the top, which some Gewürztraminers can be. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to make something that was in our style of being an acid-driven wine, um, but still had those quintessential Gewurz flavors and aromas. And, um, so basically, we took a lot of maturity samples and went by there on the way to work, uh, like every other day, basically, and tasted those maturity samples. And as soon as we saw that Gewurztraminer flavor show up in the juice, we're like, let's pick, you know, and let's get that acidity and, and try and mm -hmm. maintain that. And then we tasted those in the fermentation a lot too, because we also wanted to make a really well-balanced wine. And so um, we, we were, it, it took a lot for that Gewurz. Yeah. A lot of tasting, a lot of discussion to sort of um, decide to when to stop it. And it was the hardest wine to make. It was the hardest <laughs> wine to make, but it's, it's my favorite. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Okay, so as you mentioned earlier, making wine maybe not so difficult, but, but selling it can be. So tell mm -hmm. me about your efforts so far in selling your wine and how that's gone for you so far. Chris is definitely carrying the load on this one. <laughs> I mean, for good reason. Like, yeah. Um, well, you should talk about your grad program. I, yeah, I started a PhD in oh. biological and ecological engineering after having Nadia, uh, our kid. Um, uh, since we just, we realized that one person should not work harvest with a small child. Yeah. Uh, and also, I was also really interested in ag sustainability, but um, I've been doing that and taking on the daycare drop-offs and pickups, and Chris is doing a lot of the wine selling on the weekends. Yeah, which is but, not what I... Uh, it's not what we envisioned originally. Uh, we were no. like, oh yeah, you'll sell and I'll sell and we'll just kind of split the duties. And we still do a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, I, I think I have a little more free time than you do. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, on the weekends we, we go and um, you'll take Nadia to the park and I'll, <laughs> and I'll uh, go do a, a you know, pour somewhere for a little bit or or just go off my own somewhere and pour for a little bit. And um, the selling has been a lot more enjoyable than I ever imagined. Uh, I think going into it, I really dreaded it. Um, you know, coming from a production background, it, that was the space I was comfortable in and uh, really happy in. And I did not want to do wine sales at all. Um, that was never something I really wanted. Um, but now that we get into actually doing it, and especially these events where, you know, it's just a couple hours, and like last weekend we were in Redmond and pouring at a Rome bar, and um, it's just two hours. Everybody's there basically to taste the wines. Um, you're not trying to like pull people in and have them taste it. Um, people are excited about it, mm -hmm. and, um, and we're obviously excited about it. Um, so like, it's, it's actually been really fun um, going and, and pouring for a bunch of different people and getting people's feedback and um, you know, learning what people like and what people don't like. And um, usually they're not quite as direct to say they don't like it. Um, they usually say, well, I liked the last one more. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, you get a, a real sense for a lot of different people's palates and, um, and end up having a lot of good conversations and 
um, meeting a lot of people and um, yeah, it's it's actually a pretty fun thing to do on a weekend. Uh, we did we did get a distributor though. Yes. We were thinking about self-distributing for a while and then it was taking up all the weekends and every... We weren't moving wine fast enough. <laughs> it, it's hard to, you know, having all... I mean, we do have a lot of connections still in the wine industry, but um, yes. And you also met Tim at Lone Wolf mm. and our wines seem to fit in his portfolio pretty well, so... Uh, but we're also distributed in Washington now. It's very strange, not strange, but uh, unusual. The uh, Ezra from Kylie messaged, messaged us way back when we first started. And he was like, are you Bulgarian? My wife's Bulgarian. <laughs> <laughs> and so we connected that way. Um, and he's been amazing to work with. So uh, he's distributing us up there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'll all of a sudden there's like a, a couple more different sales avenues that mm -hmm. are um, require a little bit less of our time and we can kind of focus on doing events and um, pouring at different wine shops and instead of like sending emails to all these different places and getting a reply from like two places and then going and you know taking a Saturday to go and pour at one place and it, it just was kind of a slow operation for a little while. and um, But now, like, our wine is, it's really been really cool to see it show up in all these different places. Like, like I didn't even know that wine bar was there, and now our wine is there. Like, that's like, um, that's been really fun to, to, to have it spread a lot more than I think we were capable of spreading it efficiently. And, and then getting the feedback from all these different places and all these different people um, has been um, kind of like a, another magnitude of rewarding. Yeah, what, is, what does it feel like to pour your wine with your names on it for people? Uh, it's, uh, it's a bit more nerve-wracking. Um, you're definitely more invested than... Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, with Christum, I'm still invested because... Uh, you know, we, uh, like, I have a big part of making those wines and, and what the wines ultimately are, you know, I'm obviously not doing it alone and no one's ever doing it alone. Um, but unless you're like, maybe you're John Thomas and then you're truly doing it alone. But, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think, uh, now it's for me mentally, I, I've had to, kind of not take anything personally mm -hmm. and realize that everybody has their own style and not everybody's going to like the wines. And if we were making wines that everybody likes, then we're just making pop music. And like that's, that's mm -mm. maybe culturally important, but uh, not, uh, not really what we want to be doing. And at our scale, like uh, we want to make something that is uh, offering uh, a certain flavor profile that maybe not everybody else is offering. Yeah. But it is, it's yeah, expressing yourself creatively, whether it is art or wine. It's like, it can be, yeah, you have to kind of dissociate yourself a little bit when you are selling it because it touches really deep, right? <laughs> uh, but it also, selling our own product 
is, yeah, it's so much easier to talk about the things that you so much like, um, like how you made the wine, why you made the wine. Um, yeah, it's just having this deeper connection to the product and having positive feedback mm -hmm. is so rewarding. So, yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying it whenever I make it out. Yeah, I mean, especially with the, uh, the art on top of that, too. And, yeah. And everybody's really responded well to the labels and, and, um, and so it's like they respond well to the label and they respond well to the wine. It's like, oh, that's everything that we put into it. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's been and I've made art for so long, ever since I remember. Um, and I never saw myself as an artist. It's just something I do. That's my hobby. But now people are like, well, where can I buy your print? And I'm like, you want to buy my print? <laughs> really? I mean, OK, but also I can't believe that. You know, somebody would like my art so much, or enough to, to buy it, to pay me money. So, it's nice. Doubly rewarding. Like Double, you said. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm just making it straight. We have a PhD program, small child, printmaking, working a day job at a winery, and also a wine brand on the side. So, tell me about balance and about making, making that all work. How do you two make all that work? Uh, we do. Um, as best we can. Um, daycare. Daycare is like a key component <laughs> yeah, to like all that, a critical component. Um, and it's been great having daycare because she just gets such a great experience there that, um, you know, all the stuff that she does there that like, we're probably not going to do at home with her, you know, and she, she just gets... But also we've been really lucky because Chris's parents moved to Corvallis part-time. Yeah. So uh, they definitely help all this happened. Um, I just started my PhD. <laughs> so, but you know, sometimes when you have way more things on your plate, you're way better at um, organizing everything mm -hmm. and making things happen right away uh, instead of procrastinating. Uh, I found this to be true about myself. Um, so, if I have one hour and I'm like, okay, this is why my one hour I'm gonna do art or Nadia's gone to sleep, or Chris is putting her to sleep, I'll take this time and I'll do this thing that is really enjoyable to me. Um, and I know that I'm not gonna get these three hours later on, so I take the opportunity. Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's working. Don't know how, yeah. <laughs> but it is. Yeah, I mean, it works day to day. Yeah. <laughs> so. It does feel like a lot sometimes, but, and it is a lot. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, we've, we've found a way to make it balance, and we don't have a whole lot of social life on top of that. It was COVID for so long. Yeah, so, so we kind of got used to that. But um, We do have friends. Yeah, we do have friends. <laughs> we have friends that we never see. We see them. <laughs> I think we still have friends. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my parents are watching Nadia tonight, and so we're going to go out tonight and have a glass of wine at Corazon and um, yeah and try and have some sort of balance whenever we can and um, I think the other thing is um, you know Kristen has been really supportive through all of this as well and um, you know Tom and Dan have continuously said like hey you know we we uh, we want this brand to work for you and we want you guys to succeed here and and so if you need to 
take off, you know, in the middle of the day on Friday to go pour somewhere, like, you know, that's great. Like, um, so they've been uh, and supportive in that respect and supportive in, in letting us use the facility and, and use all this equipment that we could never afford. And, um, and yeah. Takes a village. Yeah. For a wine brand and, and when. <laughs> and a <when>, child. <laughs> really takes a village. Um, so yeah, having, having uh, different avenues of support has been really important too. And so what comes next for, for Liska then? What are you looking into as the brand starts to grow? I don't know. Um, you know, we, um, we're kind of holding where we are at the moment. So um, in uh, 2021, we made 450 cases of wine, which is a lot. Um, and then 2022, we made 500 cases of wine. And I think we're, we're gonna try and hold it like 500 this year and try and stay there, see where things organically grow. And um, right now we're in Oregon and Washington. Um, we're looking at hopefully being in California um, sometime in the future, uh, maybe the next year or two. Um, and then from there, I don't know. We talk about it. We talk about it. But. It, it might be oh, an urban type of winery down the road. We will never probably buy a state, an estate or a vineyard because we're not really farmers. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, it would be amazing to have an urban winery in Portland, in my opinion. Plus, but, if you end up you know, getting an engineering job after yeah. your PhD, then that could be where mm -hmm. those jobs might be. Yeah, but I have four or five more years of school, so. <laughs> <laughs> Some time to think So about we're going to be in Corvallis for a while. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. But right now, um, you know, Kristen's a great place for me to be, and, and uh, the wine brand is, is the right size for us, it feels, at the moment. And uh, uh, it's enough where we can spread it around a good amount, and and um, but not be so big that it's a little bit unwieldy and we have to like hire somebody or something crazy like that, you know. So I'll talk about the Oregon wine industry a little bit quickly here. Uh, mm. Tell me about uh, your sort of initial impressions of Oregon. Obviously you had impressions from school, but mm. as you came back into the industry, what, did, what were your initial impressions of the wines here and the people making them and how, if at all, has that changed since you've been here? Uh, I think the one thing that made a big impression on me was the um, close relationships wineries had with each other. And it felt more of like a community, um, as you would see, uh, you know, in like old movies about small Napa wineries of, and Napa has changed tremendously in the last who knows how many years, I don't know. I don't know it from back when it was small, so I don't know. Uh, but it felt like a close-knit community, and I've come to realize that it's bigger than I thought it was, uh, and I think it probably has grown even more in mm -hmm. the last, I don't know, three years since we've been here. Mm -hmm. Three years? Four years? Four years? Four years. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I want it to continue growing, but I really hope it doesn't get as big as Napa. <laughs> 
not so much about size, but I like the feel of it now. Yeah, I mean, it will keep growing. Like yeah. it's, it's just the, how it is. But um, yeah, the community is really good. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what drew us to it in the first place was it, it felt like everybody was talking to each other and collaborating and it still had this youthful feel to it. Like, like okay, let's all figure out how we together can make better wine and um, make wines that are quintessentially organ. And, mm -hmm. and build that brand of Oregon wine mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. um, really felt that in 2020 after the fires. Mm -hmm. um, that, was, that was certainly a time where um, while the smoke was still here, people were banding together and, and putting together email threads and groups and mm -hmm. um, saying, oh, I tried this, did you try that? You know, just throwing darts at the board and seeing what would stick. And uh, um, and so that whole year, being able to talk to people, even without seeing them, because we were still like locked down, really. <laughs> but a lot of long email threads of people saying what they tried, and and occasionally people coming and tasting, you know, smoke tainted wine, and we taste their smoke tainted wine, and and figure out what's working and what's not working. Mm -hmm. um, that sort of collaborative spirit. Um, is is really on display here in here in Oregon and um, and you know now we have this small brand, really small brand that um, we've discovered. There's all these other really small brands mm -hmm. of all these other people doing the same thing that we're doing, you know, and and trying to make their mark on Oregon wine and and kind of operating at the fringes and making wines that are that are um, different than ours but but just as unique as ours mm -hmm. and, or you know even more unique than ours and um, and so we've kind of become part of that community now and um, you know we're doing this indie wine festival and in, in uh, the end of May and um, it's all these producers that are just like us that are all kind of banding together and, and uh, um, trying to make it in this, in this industry. Um, and uh, so that's like, that's a whole side of the community that I didn't even really know about before. And now that we're in it, I'm like, oh, this is like another layer of uh, what Oregon wine is. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool to see. We've made a lot of really cool connections. Yeah. I really hope the industry stays like, um, has the Pacific Northwest feel. It never goes totally into like luxury. And yeah. um, I think a lot of us that came up, up here for wine chose it for the, the, that reason, is the community feel. So hopefully. Keep it that way. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I mean, it, I, the, Many unique wines are putting the, the region on the map, which is amazing, and it helps everyone, I think. So, but if the field st stays the same, it would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of these small brands might grow to be big brands, and then there'll be other small brands that mm -hmm. make their own community below, you know, it, to replace that and, and uh, yeah, the cycle continues. So it's, um, 
you know, I don't think we spent a, a long enough time in California to really see that element of it as well. I, I know it exists. Um, you know, we have friends that have a small brand down there and they're part of that own, their own California equivalent mm -hmm. to that. Um, but yeah, up here it just feels, um, it feels pretty organic. Yeah. Last question for you. Um, advice or words of wisdom you would offer on someone interested in joining the Oregon wine industry? Just go for it. <laughs> we, I have found out that I am the happiest when I take all the opportunities that come up. And yeah, um, if, yeah, go for it. Yeah, there's a lot of different paths you can take. I mean, mm -hmm. depending on what wineries you work for and um, what kind of wine that you want to make, um, just find that place where you feel like you're a good fit, and uh, and then just go along for the ride. You know. And you know, if you if anyone decides to express themselves creatively through wine. There is going to be the people that enjoy what they make. Yeah. And it does diversify the region. And we enjoy all those people that are doing just that, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're small producers and big producers. So, and we went for it. We came to McMinnville, didn't have jobs, and just did it. it I mean, it didn't take that long. No. There was a... There was a few months there that it felt like it took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, this is, we're not going to be able to pay our bills pretty soon. But, um, but yeah, you know, it just things just kind of kept falling into place, and mm -hmm. we just kept at it, and um, and it keeps going that way. And I think like a few months ago, um, you know, we were really unsure about what's going to happen with this brand. And, and, and now all of a sudden it feels like it's picking up some momentum. And, uh, and we and we're like, we don't even know what six months from now is going to be. And that's, uh, you just kind of got to uh, stay on board and, and, uh, and see where it goes. Fantastic. That's all the questions that I have for the two of you. Anything okay. I didn't ask that I should have? Anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to cover here? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> I ask good questions. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you both so much for your time, for Thank sharing you. your story with us in this great space. Thank you to Liska as well for making some guest appearances. Yeah, she's, she's been a good girl, as she always is. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you both so much. We'll let you off the hook. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.